You're listening to the Tuesday Talks Podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. In this week's episode, we're diving deep into the heart of two crucial frameworks shaping how we interact in an online world, zero trust and digital trust. Numerical's founder and CEO, Rebecca Johnson, is joined by special guest, Dean Coughlin, Senior Director of Business Development and Trust Specialist at DigiCert, to shed light on how these concepts are pivotal in the telecom industry and the broader digital landscape. All right, welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and communications industry. I'm Rebecca Johnson, founder and CEO of Numerical, and I'll be co-hosting today's session with Dean Coughlin, Senior Director Business Development at DigiCert. Dean brings more than 30 years of business development and product management experience in software, security, and telecommunications to DigiCert and he is responsible for representing the company and industry consortia and driving the company's strategic alliances with technology partners. He is also the current chair of the CA Browser Forum and chairs the ASCX9 PKI study group developing next generation PKI standards for the finance industry. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. Thank you very much, Rebecca. I'm really looking forward to it today. So DigiCert is not Numerical's kind of typical guest on Tuesday Talks. Normally our guests are from specifically the telecom industry, standards bodies, government enforcement, all around the nuts and bolts of telecom. But DigiCert is a name I think most people in most industries are fully aware of, but don't necessarily see the correlation over to telecom. But it sounds like that's why you're there at DigiCert. So we're going to get more into that aspect and and really why I reached out to have you on this uh, show. But first, let's take some time to talk about who DigiCert is, and then we'll dive into why I think DigiCert, and especially you, are a great addition to the Tuesday Talk podcast. And before you share about DigiCert, I wanted to share one little tidbit that I found when researching, and I came across the story of why it was founded, and I found myself relating to this ever so much. DigiCert was founded out of frustration. Full stop. That's literally on the website. (laughs) I thought, oh man, that's enough to start a company. And what that frustration was rooted in was just the process of buying a certificate was painful, it was time-consuming, and a frustrating slog through technical jargon and phone trees. So on that note of frustration, driving innovation around trust, something I know ever so dearly, please share a bit about who DigiCert is, what's its key role in the industry, and why trust is at the core of all your products and services. Well, you gave a lot of background there, and I'll capitalize on that and give you a little more. So I think DigiCert is probably not a household name, but I think a lot of people know the name VeriSign. VeriSign was established in 1995 as the first public certificate authority to issue certificates for websites, mostly. And that company continued and grew until 2010 when it was sold to Symantec. Uh, And then Symantec had that business until 2017 when they sold the PKI business to DigiCert. So DigiCert was founded in 2003, as you said, because of frustration with 
uh, installations of certificates. People just didn't know how to do it and certificate authorities were not providing good instruction. So that's what, how we were founded. And then when we acquired the former VeriSign slash Symantec business in 2017, we are now the largest publicly trusted commercial PKI provider on earth. And that's a very important role today because it's not just for websites, it's for many, many different things that certificates are needed. For example, we need to secure IoT devices, email, uh, software code, uh, and many, many other things that have to be trusted online. And establishing trust online is what we are all about. So that's kind of our background, and we are sort of the experts and the authority on digital trust. Uh, and that's something I think we're going to get into a little bit more in this conversation. Yes, trust is exactly where I'd like to pick up and explore for the majority of our time. So I started Numerical out of my frustration with terminating carriers labeling legal calls as essentially untrustworthy. That's your spam. That's your scam. That's your fraud. And establishing and transferring the legal identity in the phone network and having that be trusted really seemed like an insurmountable obstacle. And in some ways, uh, it still is that way. But we've been innovating at Numerical, so I'm hoping we're going <laughs> to we're going to solve that problem. But for today, I want this episode really to be rooted in education. I want our listeners to walk away more informed, perhaps inspired to learn more, and hopefully take up the challenge to bridge trust concepts uh, that DigiCert has worked so diligently to adopt and employ over into telecom, whether it be at the network layer, standards layer, regulatory layer, device manufacturing, and the presentation layer. The end-to-end pathway, if you will, on establishment of identity and secure delivery. And this is where an article that you shared on LinkedIn caught my attention as we in telecom grapple just the concept of trust. Let, let's, let's put the technology aside. We just grapple with what's trust, who to trust, how to trust, where to trust, all of those concepts. This t- article was titled, How Zero Trust Can Enable Digital Trust, and was written by Jason Sabin, the Chief Technology Officer at DigiCert. And I believe we're gonna share that article. Absolutely read it. It is a good introduction, has a lot of interesting links links that will get you exploring all different concepts. But for today, I think let's just start with that. What is the difference between zero trust and digital trust? Well, that's a very good question, Rebecca, and a very common question that I hear all the time. So zero trust is a security architecture that is used to verify identities, verify intent, and then allow or deny access to a resource, a place, a person, anything that it could be. Whereas digital trust is really focused on validating identity and giving us the confidence that we can have online transactions securely, privately, and authenticated. And this is something, as I mentioned earlier, we are experts in an authority on digital trust So doing that verification and authentication of those identities online is our bread and butter business. And zero trust is, like I said, is that architecture that can use the concept of digital trust to do the validation, 
whereas Zero Trust does the verification of the identity and the intent. So where are some examples that DigiCert is applying these concepts that our listeners would relate to and maybe understand? Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest examples that's easy for people to understand and that they can see starting actually just a, last year in their email inboxes, especially if they use Gmail, uh, a new feature has been rolled out called uh, BIMI, which stands for Brand Indicators for Message Identification. So now when you see a logo in Gmail, you will see next to that logo a blue check mark. And what that means is that that logo and that domain have been authenticated by a certificate authority. And a digital certificate has been issued to that company, uh, which is now used by Gmail to display it to the user. So think of it this way. The digital trust part of that is the certificate that has now validated the organization, validated the domain, and validated the trademark logo. The zero trust is basically what Gmail is doing and saying, okay, I see this email here. Uh, let me check and see if it has a certificate. And if it does, I'll display that logo. So that's the way to think about it. Uh, and this is starting to roll out. Uh, it, actually, it's rolled out now for over a year. But more and more people are going to start seeing these logos as brands adopt these. And they can have confidence that the trust is there because behind that is a certificate authority that has done the work to validate the identity. Dean, have you ever met my friend, Mr. Elon Musk? <laughs> <laughs> I really think the two of you should meet. I think there's a lot that he could learn from you. Why in the world do we not see that level of detail and attention and trust applied to these independent social networks? Yeah, that's a good question, and I would love to have an introduction if you have the opportunity to do so. But, uh, you know, we are trying to talk to folks and establish digital trust as a mainstay of online confidence for consumers and end users and businesses as well. You know, one of the things that uh, is incumbent upon digital trust is sort of like the, the, the ground floor of it is industry standards. And you have to have standards that the whole industry agrees on. Otherwise, competing products or other types of environments can't have that digital trust if they can't all agree on what it is the standard is for establishing that trust. So we're, we're very proud of the fact that, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I'm involved in several standards bodies uh, helping to decide what those standards are. And many of my colleagues are also uh, playing with those standards bodies from NIST, from the IEEE, and, and other well-known established bodies. So this is a very good foundation for digital trust going forward. Uh, and it would love to, it would be great if some of these other organizations, especially in social media, that claim to have uh, identified logos, identified people, would subscribe to that same idea. So, so you're saying it takes more than an email address and a credit card and a handle name? Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Like maybe just a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah. No, look at, uh, we have to go beyond that. We have to verify people's identities. We do that just the same way governments verify identities and other organizations where security is important. And look at on social media, we've seen a lot of flaws because of security issues uh, that have caused damage to people's reputations or to their bank accounts. So having trusted identities is something that we support. We're behind, and we're, we're an organization that has the ability to help organizations do that. 
So one thing I think you said that is incredibly important for our listeners is that digital trust is built on standards for establishing trust. Dean, I'm going to label that as a call to action. That is a call to action for the telecom industry, especially the standards bodies, to pick this up and address it and truly close the loop on establishing what trust is. We've been arguing trust for years. And one of the things that this is just my opinion from where I stand is that the only thing that's really been contributed to establishing trust is, oh, we're the authoritative company for a database that holds data. Uh, Therefore, you can just trust us. And that's it. Just trust us. That doesn't work. And, And where you're like, what would happen if where you've already deployed these solutions uh, in the trust framework approach, what would be your idea of how that would play out if if it was just established that way? You know, I I get uh, messages on my phone, uh, phone calls that say, uh, you know, potential spam. Uh, And I answered the call one day and it turned out it wasn't potential spam. It was a call that I was expecting. Or I'll see a call from something that identifies a name and I answer it and it's not that name. So... There's, there's an aspect there that can be remedied that's not being addressed. Uh, it seems that, as you said, uh, organizations are saying, well, trust me, I have data about these numbers and who they belong to. But in reality, it sounds like there's a lot of spoofing involved there and which fraudsters know that and they're taking advantage of that. Now, one thing I'll mention in telecom is there is a effort underway to authenticate 911 networks and it's called a next generation 911. And this does involve security, and this is a well thought out uh, public key infrastructure, which involves issuing certificates and trusted identities to different bodies on the telecom system for 911 calls. And in fact, I believe it's being rolled out in Fairfax County uh, near you. So it's something that I think we're going to start seeing more authentication around that, but it's too bad that uh, that concept hasn't spread more in the telecom industry. Yep. I agree with that. Um, It is something I definitely want to do a little bit more research into and see what it is that we can extract. I know the standards for uh, 911 are also covered uh, by the same individuals who look at telecom from a broader uh, spectrum. I do know one of the sticking points, I would say, for moving forward in this concept is uh, the terminating side. So I would think of it like, Uh, Google, who's a recipient of the emails, Microsoft, the recipient of the emails, those responsible for accepting the information and rendering a display. There is a lot of resistance from the terminating side. And we can't ignore their concerns. Uh, They are valid in that they just don't trust the network that would deliver the information to them. So how, in, at least in the email, where do you see, is, is this across the board, everybody's adopting it and okay with it? Or are there some presentation terminating providers of emails who are like, nah, I'm not going to participate? What, what has been your experience? So as I mentioned, BIMI uh, is a fairly new rollout in the last year and a half or so. And I also mentioned that Gmail uh, is supporting this with over 1.8 billion email boxes that they have. Uh, Apple has recently signed on to this. We see Yahoo, AOL, uh, and some other foreign, smaller 
uh, country-based email providers doing it. Uh, we'd love to see more adoption of this because it does provide authentication of the sender and can help decrease phishing. Not only that, but from a non-security perspective, think of the branding aspect of this. You know, now you're getting your brand, your logo, which people see in your bricks and mortar store, in your online presence on your website, in your collateral. It's now going into the email. And when you think about brand impressions and what, how much money marketing organizations pay to have their brand out there on, on different websites and different getting to users, uh, this is a really low cost effort to get your brand out there. Now, as you said, we're not seeing this universally yet. Some of the larger email providers are not supporting Vimy today. And I think probably one of the biggest ones is Microsoft. Uh, they haven't yet decided to, to sign on to this. Now, maybe they will, so I don't want to say anything negative about that, but maybe they will, and I'm hoping they do. But that's a big, big component of B2B email, right? I mean, B2C, Gmail, web, or Gmail phone, that's fine. Uh, but for B2B, companies use Outlook, no question about it. And even companies that are using Gmail use Outlook to read that Gmail and those logos do not render in that application. So we need to see some more uh, of, these, of this adoption of BIMI and verified mark certificates in order to get more trust in the entire ecosystem. I mean, that whole conversation is exactly what we have in the voice. Just replace every, every time you said email, just say voice call. <laughs> That's exactly, it's about authentication, verification, trust, brand assets that's how we refer to it is on on the telecom side of these are branding assets and that is a bit of a cluster right now because we don't have this ingrained in the standard all the way down to trust we will talk all day long about the delivery of bits and bytes that we'll get to the table on have a beer talk about it and everybody's happy and good and we're all just discussing that but when it comes to how that information gets put onto the network, what process did it go through to be verified, authenticated, validated, and then on the terminating side, what gains, what special treatment, that's the blue check mark, that is a special treatment to say, hey, I've gone through this rigorous process. That's that end to end. It's the origination of the data and then the display of the information. That is just MIA. Right now. So are you telling me that that green check mark I see on my phone calls does not mean anything? Worthless. <laughs> it means somebody somebody followed the rules and implemented stir shaking. That's what that means. It doesn't do anything for us on actually combating fraud. It does absolutely nothing for us on any kind of indicator of verification or that when the consumer answers that call that the person or the entity on the other end is in fact who they say they are. With email, what I would expect as a consumer is that when I get that email and it says Marriott or it says my bank, it absolutely is them and I don't have to do the whole like, let me open it up, yep. let me go look at what the email URL is, like is this legit or not because they're using my, the, you know, the email content right. looks legit. But I have to go do a little bit of research I would love to be able to know with confidence that when I get those emails in and they are my bank, it is indeed my bank. And I can do a reply back and know that my information 
is going to go back to my bank and my bank alone. And I don't know if you've noticed recently what I'm glad that you go in and actually look at the domain name to see where it's actually coming from. Most people don't do that. But if you try to do that on your mobile phone nowadays, what a lot of the scammers do is they create a really long domain name so that you can't actually see what's after the period. And yep. so you're trying to examine it on your mobile phone. You can't see it. Right. So there's another attack vector that they're using. They always get smarter and figure out new ways. And, and really, this is bringing me to, we didn't talk about this in our, in our prep, but this is my greatest fear, at least within the voice. And this is a very real thing that can happen right now because we did not establish a trust framework first. Mm. We went immediately to branding. So in your world, imagine that you enabled logos, branding, all this information without first establishing verification, authentication, and trust. So we did that in the telecom space because there's money in it. Why not? Let's get to the money first. Trust stuff. That's just annoying. It's frustrating, right? So guess what happens? Now we've created this environment where a fraudulent actor can deliver a voice call and have it display as a bank. And this happened to me. So I had fraud on my credit card. It was like two or three months prior. Um, someone used it at Walmart online, whatever. So thankfully it was a real call that I got like, hey, there's been a fraud activity. Let's verify the transactions. We go through, they go, mm -mm, okay, we're gonna shut it off, sorry. And I was on vacation. That's when it always happens is when you're not at home. <laughs> so I can't use a card anymore. And it's like, you know, no problem. Thank you, send me a new one. So I get the new one. A few months later, guess what? I get a call and it is a number from the bank. And they start to talk to us and they go, okay, you've had fraud activity. My first red flag was the fraud activity was exactly the same as the prior. Uh -huh. So somehow they got information about what was the fraud activity that occurred. And it's like, really Walmart again? Like that seems a little odd. Yeah. And this is a brand new number. Like I did not even added this new number on anything yet. So then we start questioning going, I just don't really feel like this is a fraud call. Oh no, this is, this is your bank and we're calling to protect you. We need to get your credit card number so that we can verify. Is it, uh -uh, stop right there. That's not, mm -mm. <laughs> that's not real. Look at the number I called on. I mean, I looked up the number and it came back when I did a Google search, it was the right number right. and it said the bank's name. Yep. So it's like, okay, but my gut's telling me this isn't good. So the person goes so far as hold on a second. I'll tell you your balance. Oh. So pull it up on my app. I wait about 15 seconds, comes back to the dot. Wow. Boom. So there, there's an IVR you can call in. And if you have the credit, some, you know, if you have the last four digits of the credit card or whatever, you can get actually count balances. So they're literally using the IVR to do that. Yeah. But it was a moment for me because the predictions that I made on what happens when you deploy identity solutions without trust, validation, and authentication. All you do is you create another avenue for fraud and they're sitting back th going, thank you. Wow. I made our job easier. Wow. That's the reality. I know that's shocking to you. <laughs> With all that you know and all your experience and expertise. I, I'm thrilled that you were able to determine that it was a fraud uh, and that you didn't get caught up in it. And most people will they would. would give away their information willingly once they hear their bank balance. I think the yeah. question you should ask is what was the last transaction? How much was it? Yeah. <laughs> That, 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 yeah. Eventually I just hung up because he, because he got belligerent and he's like, I'm your bank and I'm trying to protect you. That, then you know it's fake. Don't yell at me. <laughs> Don't and, yell and unfortunately, at me, a lot of senior citizens will fall for that uh, hook, line, and sinker. And especially when they get belligerent and things like that, they're okay, fine. Yeah, here it is. You know, yep. leave me alone. Yep. 
So before we close, because we are coming up on time, what I want to call attention to, uh, which your article called attention to, is this whole zero trust concept is not a new fancy you know, lingo to use. It's not this new thing that you're trying to sell. This has the attention of our executive office in the United States of America. That's right. So there's a called out in the article, um, zero trust has been increasingly adopted in recent years. And it's really as of late, 2021 U.S. executive order directing the federal government towards a zero trust approach. And that's because zero trust can help mitigate security risk and reduce the time it takes to detect a breach. Right. And I want to read from the letter from our president's office uh, what he had stated. And he said, in May of 2021, uh, under issuing the executive order, uh, improving the nation's cybersecurity, to, uh, initiating a sweeping government-wide effort to ensure that baseline, this is just baseline, Baseline security practices are in place to migrate the federal government to a zero trust architecture and to realize the security benefits of cloud-based infrastructure while mitigating associated risks. A transition to a zero trust approach to security provides a defensible architecture for this new government. As described in the Department of Defense zero trust reference architecture, the foundational tenet of the zero trust model is that no actor system, network, or service operating outside or within the security perimeter is trusted. Instead, we must verify anything and everything attempting to establish access. It is a dramatic paradigm shift in philosophy of how we secure our infrastructure, networks, and data from verify once at the perimeter to continual verification of each user, device, application, and transaction. We, telecom industry, have failed. Hmm. Failed at such an egregious level. So that's what strikes me, hits my passion, is we have got to take up the call and actually implement what even at the attention of our federal government is begging, but they've now ordered. So it's kind of a begging, but telling you you better do it. We can't keep being lackadaisical about it. It's time to start implementing it. If we don't, guess what? We're that vector that you can exploit. And then the attacks will only increase from that perspective. At least that's my Yeah, point. I agree. I mean, look, at the federal government is really pushing zero trust right now, as you read from that directive in, in the Department of Defense, but also in, in commercial industries as well. Yep. Uh, Digicert and a bunch of other companies like Broadcom, Cisco are involved in a project going on at the NIST National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence. Uh, it's called Implementing a Zero Trust Architecture. Uh, and there's, I just put the uh, link in the chat to uh, the project, but a lot of companies are involved with this and it's important because it's been going on for almost two years now, but it's important because it's basically, once it's done, it's going to be a reference architecture that any company could implement using uh, the products that the participating companies have donated to this project. And I think that just speaks to the fact that how important this is. And as I mentioned, it's been going on for two years. So this is not just because that directive came out. This just didn't start. We've been working on this for two years. Uh, and digital certificates form an extremely important part of this architecture. I, I kind of liken digital certificates now to a utility. I mean, you know, you plug in your, your fan or your toaster into the outlet and you expect electricity. Uh, 
a lot of companies now have implemented digital certificates, whereas when you plug your laptop in or you connect to Wi-Fi, a certificate is automatically issued to that device. And that guarantees the authenticity, uh, also the privacy, if you're doing encryption between the devices, uh, the integrity, making sure that the uh, information has not been tampered with, and the non-repudiation, making sure that I can't deny that I sent that information to you. So all of these concepts are extremely important to digital trust, which are then used in zero trust. Well, Dean, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on uh, Tuesday Talks. I think this one is incredibly informative and hopefully it's inspiring to our listeners as well to join this initiative to bring trust back to communications. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been really enlightening and I hope uh, your listeners find it the same. And I'm going to talk offline with you more, a little bit more about what, what's going on in the telecom industry because it sounds like uh, help is needed. <laughs> It's a sea of opportunities. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely. So we'd like to thank all of you for joining us for another episode of Tuesday Talks. Your engagement and enthusiasm fuel our conversations, and we hope you found today's discussion enlightening. We'll be back live on Tuesday, September 5th, when we'll continue to tackle the ever-shifting landscape of the telecom industry with in-depth analysis, expert opinions, and a forward-thinking approach that keeps you at the forefront of innovation and best practices. Whether you're a professional in the field or simply interested in the world of technology and communication, there's something valuable for you here. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks. Our next live episode will be on Tuesday, September 5th, where you'll have the exclusive opportunity to hear from Numerical's in-house experts, Brett Nemiroff, VP of Engineering Voice, and Pierce Gorman, distinguished member of the technical staff. They will delve into the intricate subject of CNAM and caller ID, exploring its evolution, debunking misconceptions, and laying bare why it's no longer a reliable method for identifying incoming calls. Join us in our mission to promote transparency and collaboration to return trust to communications. Simply click the link to register and join us at the live show. Invite a friend and be sure to submit a question you'd like to have answered live.